0: Mercy Hill Church. It's good to be with you. My name is Brad. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, hello. I'm one of the elders here, and we're grateful that you are here. Grateful that we're able to to gather via via both the live stream as well as in person, and that we're able to worship Jesus together. Quick shout out to uh, our second born. He's 18 today. He's running audio up in the booth. So happy birthday, Cole! Uh, be sure to tell him happy birthday if you see him after the service. Appreciate you serving up there, bud. Um, we are, we've are we been looking at the Gospel of John for six months, probably. And we, we took a pause. And during Advent, we took some time to prepare our hearts for Christmas. And before we jump back into the Gospel of John, what I'd like to do is we're going to take a, a six-week series that's a little different than... Usually what we've done, we usually teach through a book of the Bible. So we're going to come back to John right before Easter. And we're going to see Jesus as he heads to the cross and the resurrection. And so we'll prepare our hearts for Easter. But in this six weeks, we want to do something different that we feel like God is is leading us to. We're beginning a series today for the next six weeks that I want you to join me in. That's going to be an experiential series. And we've entitled it Awakening. The hope for renewal. And so as you think about this series, it's experiential because I'm going to ask you to experiment along with us and to try to experiment with some new daily rhythms in your life. Now here's the deal. If you've got as much of God as you want, then don't worry about this. Like, if you've got as much of God as you want in your life, then just keep doing life the way you've been doing it. But if you have a desire for more of God, and to know God in a more intimate way, and here's a spoiler alert. I'm just going to go ahead and share a couple of things. I'm going to ask that you would join me. I'm about to get your attention. That you would join me in fasting once a week on Tuesdays. For 12 hours. at Breakfast and lunch instead of eating. That you would spend that time seeking the Lord. And I'm going to ask that you would also. Twice a day. That you would pause. And seek the Lord in prayer. 10 a.m. 2 p.m. Or whenever you need to schedule it. And I'm actually going to introduce. An app to you called Pause. That will lead you in doing this. Now. These are just a couple of ways. That I have found personally that I can change some of the daily rhythms in my life actually using technology. So in the past, I've talked about some of the dangers of technology. And so this is an app that actually enables us to change some of the daily rhythms of our life and remind us to pursue God. So now that I've gotten your attention, let me tell you just briefly why we're going into this series. And today's more of an introduction, so don't get concerned. Long intro Short sermon on one verse. Okay, we are we're beginning the series on awakening because 2020 was hard. If I'm honest with myself, I came into 2020 from 2019 exhausted. Uh, just personally, as I look back, ending 2019, we have moved the church into this building. And we had negotiated a new lease. We had remodeled the kids area. Some of you guys helped us with finishing floors and painting downstairs. We did a custom audio video installation using our own volunteers. Which is no small task. We did signage inside and out. Had to pass landmarks outside because we're in a historic neighborhood. Like We did all this stuff in the course of just a couple of months by God's grace. We had a, ca- a capital campaign. Raised Tens of thousands of dollars. And with that came a ton of purchasing and cleaning and putting stuff together. And some of you guys were a part of that. Probably the easiest way to say it's just too many 16-hour days in a week. That's kind of where I was coming in to 2020. Not to mention that we moved a 12-year-old into our home beginning in November. We moved our oldest son out of our home Beginning in December of 2019. All these emotional changes in all the normal rhythms of our life just being displaced. And then in February of last year, I don't know if y'all remember, we we had a marriage conference that we hosted here. And um, the youth had a youth retreat. We had great things that were going on. Oh, I don't know if you remember this, but there was also a financial crisis in February of last year. The stock market crashed. Anybody remember that? We've just kind of forgotten that. Worst economic downturn since the 30s was last year. Don't forget that. Um, We also, the Monday after Easter, for me personally, uh, Andrew, our associate pastor, told me that he was resigning Uh, He was our associate pastor and music director. He resigned in order to go and pursue seminary full-time and to be on staff at another church. And so we went through that transition over the summer. All with intense conversations around Black Lives Matter and even seeing protests and riots. And then those conversations continuing into the fall Conversations regarding systematic racism and COVID-19 and lots of politics. Election fraud conversations. Last week we saw domestic terrorists breach the Capitol. Our own president this past week was impeached for inciting violence and threatening our democratic system. Just a little recap of 2020. 2020. And then you guys are going, oh, you might have forgotten the most important one. In Shelby County, our kids have been in virtual school since spring break of last year. And we are over it. Can I get an amen? Kids even are with me. Whoever thought we'd hear kids say, I want to go back to school in person. Yeah, it's been a mess of a year. Back in September, Jeff Vanderstelt was here. We did a, a, a SOMA one-day event, or a couple days, and we had to limit it to just our staff and our elders. And so most of y'all weren't able to be here, but you guys, many of you know we're part of the SOMA family of churches. And Jeff came to encourage us and share some vision with us. And so we had churches from the area who came and, and got together. And one of the things that Jeff really wanted to encourage us in is that we would come together with other churches in our area To pray and to seek the Lord for gospel saturation in Memphis. And for God to move. Because he he just reminded us over and over again. God's desire. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. And we have limited the gospel of Jesus Christ to such a personal gospel. And I didn't plan on saying this, but I want to say it really quick. What Billy Graham did in the 70's was brilliant. For a country that was coming out of a a very difficult time of Vietnam War. And a country that was mainly nominal Christians. It was brilliant to, to have all these nominal Christians say, You need a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to ask Jesus into your heart. That was a brilliant phraseology of the time. I don't know if it was the best theology, but... God used it. The Spirit of God used that in a mighty way, but over the last decades, we have become so focused on this personal relationship with Jesus that now church has become all about me and mine and what works for us. And so the problem with that is, is that during this time, Jeff. Let me get back to the point. Jeff was calling us to say the vision you have that God's given you for your church is not God's vision for the city and for the world. You can't accomplish it by yourself. You need one another. And so uh, a few months ago, I started, got together with some of the Salma pastors and some other friends, and we started praying. We started actually fasting on Tuesdays. Uh, for 12 hours for breakfast and lunch. It was my suggestion. I've done, done this back in seminary. Dr. Ken Easley had introduced this idea. he said, Hey, if you guys want to fast, a lot of people fast for 40 days. They'll do that like once a year or something, or they'll do a 10 day fast or seven, whatever. But he said, I've found it's beneficial just to fast once a week. Doesn't sound like that much, but to do it like always. And so I remember doing that during seminary. And I encouraged the guys. So we've been fasting together. We've been praying together. So we fast together once a week and then we meet once a month for prayer. Also during that time when Jeff was here, Chuck Gishwin brought a little book, and it was called Revival. And some of you have seen it. I think I've got a picture for you on the screen. And it's like a bright color, yellow, orange. Yeah, there we go. And um, I'm colorblind. I don't know. Yellow, I think that's yellow and orange. It says, Revival starts here. Dave Clayton, um, an, an old acquaintance of mine in Nashville, wrote it. It's got a short conversation on prayer, fasting, and revival for beginners like me. And some of our missional communities have started studying this book together. And I encourage you to to pick it up. It's like five pages in a chapter. It's a really simple read. And so a couple of weeks ago, I've been praying about this for a while and kind of prepping for a while. A couple of weeks ago, I started meeting on Thursday mornings here at 6 a.m. with just a half a dozen um, kind of close friends that thought were hungry for Jesus and invited them it was people I knew I wouldn't have to text and say, hey, we're doing that in the morning, but they just would show up. And so they're all guys, because my friends are guys other than my wife. But I, uh, women are welcome to join us. We're here every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. The back doors are open and we just pray from about 6 to about 7.15, And th- th- These are some of the things that have changed in my life personally. And you say, why? Why are we talking about renewal? And why are you bringing up weird words like revival? And I know some of you had really kind of like weird filters around that word because you think about big tent meetings and going to, uh, if you're Baptist at least, you think about going to like these nightly meetings that last forever. And we'll talk about that. That's not what I'm talking about. Say, why are we talking about all this stuff? The answer is really simple. Look around you for a minute. Just, I'm serious. Look around you. Turn to the left. Turn to the right. Let me ask you a question. Do things look normal to you? Yes or no? Do things look normal? No. But we haven't yet caught on to the fact, guys, in the last year Worst economic downturn since the 30s. Most strife we've had around racial conflict since the 60s. Worst pandemic the world has experienced in the last century. And we still get out of our car and forget what when we go in a store your mask. Because we are people who are very slow. To catch on to what God is trying to show us and to teach us. Listen, I am not God. And I don't claim to hear from him and speak for him. I, I believe God, uh, I believe I hear from God. Um, but I believe God can speak to you as well. So I believe in the priesthood of all believers. Okay? So I can't say that, that this pandemic... ...has come from God and it's His judgment to us. I can't, I can't... I don't know that. I do know this. He has allowed it. He has allowed it. And whether it's His judgment or not... ...we need to seek Him. Because He is the one who is powerful... ...not only to change our world... ...but to change hearts that need to be changed. And here's what I want you to catch. Hearts need to be changed... Barna continued doing research in 2020. I've got three quick stats I want to show you that are disturbing. During 2020, one in three practicing Christians stopped attending church during COVID-19. I'm not talking about in person. This statistic even includes those who are at home church hopping online. Like, ah, our church is boring. I don't like the sermon series they're doing. Let's go see what Craig is doing over at Life Church. Let's see what Andy Stanley's doing at North Point. Let's see what so-and-so's doing at the other church across the street. And they're, like, this even counts the people who are church hopping on live streams. And it's saying they're still attending church. One-third of practicing Christians have stopped doing anything. Any kind of in-person gatherings. Any kind of live stream. They've just said, we're good. Second stat, white Christians have become less motivated to address racial injustice. So the statistic moved from like twenty percent of white Christians are no longer motivated to really talk about racial injustice to now thirty percent in the last year. And you say you say, Brad, why are you getting into social justice issues? Because it's a gospel issue that the church read the book of James. Read about the sin of partiality. That is racial injustice. It's a gospel issue that we're called to care about. And we're caring about it even less. Maybe the most concerning is the last. The percentage of practicing Christians has dropped. In in the year 2000, the percentage of people who claim to be practicing Christians in the U.S. was about 45% of our nation. In 20 years that percentage has dropped by almost half to only 20% of our nation even claiming to be practicing Christians. And when you look at those statistics, it's easy for us to like wag the finger. And that is not at all what my intention is. Because I believe that the greatest problem is not found... In that last statistic, I believe the greatest problem is found in the statistic of what is going on in our hearts, in our hearts right here today. Because if we're honest, and I'm guilty of this, the way that we've tried to fix this in the past has mainly been better instruments. And I don't mean like better musical instruments, but I mean better creativity and better systems and better entertainment. I mean, I I was on staff at a wannabe megachurch one time. Who they, They were sending their executive pastor to these systems conferences that cost tens of thousands of dollars. And one of my buddies that took the job, and I said, don't you dare take that job. And he took it anyhow. He said, Brad, I was sitting by Apple and Goodyear and Ford Motor Company. He said, it was ridiculous. But we think we're always looking for the next silver bullet. And the church has fallen into just the cultural norm, which is that in America, whoever wins is who's fastest and who's not even bigger anymore. It's not about big, it's about fast and who's best and who's got the newest and most creative. And we've fallen into that. And I've fallen into that oftentimes. I mean, we're a church that wants to make disciples through the structure of missional communities. And I've realized that sometimes when I look at our church, so much of my time and energy is spent trying to fix our structure. Like, let me go and learn from others who are doing it right. Maybe we can get, you know, our engine fixed. I'm guilty of that. Someone once said that insanity is doing the same thing. Over and over again, and expecting different results. And it seems that the church in the West is doing the same thing over and over again, but just trying to improve on it a little and do it with a little more excellence, which I think just means excellence and sanity. Long intro. In order to say, but I think there is hope. I think there is hope. What if this secular moment in our culture is only a crisis if we ignore God's call for renewal? What if we reframe this as brilliantly good news? That the greatest moments of Christian history have all come when the church's back was against the wall. Think about that. When we found ourselves in a corner with nowhere to turn to, In those two famous words, but God. Do a search, do the search, but God. And you will find amazing stories that took place all throughout the gospel narrative. And those are the moments in our weakness when God's power is gloriously revealed. Think about it. Moments like Moses at the Red Sea or only... 300 of Gideon's men against thousands. Or that little group of 120 just waiting in the upper room, waiting for the Spirit to light the flame in the church to be born. Think about your own life. What are the greatest moments in your life spiritually? They're painful. I know where I was at. I can go and take you back to that place over by the Ag Center near Shelby Farms. It was 15 years ago. I was journaling. I remember writing, God, if my marriage doesn't make it. Because Katie and I, we were there, weren't we? We were like, like, man, we, we are struggling. We were seeing a counselor. It was like nothing we had faced. And I remember writing, God, if my marriage doesn't make it, you are enough. That was hard. It was a hard about eighteen months, and you remember those times in your life, your back was against the wall you 're in a corner, you have no, nowhere to turn but two words but god right here 's the crazy thing in those moments of weakness, God moves, he moves thunderously, he moves powerfully in ways that only he can take credit for, and in most of those moments it 's small numbers it 's small people who are seeking the Lord. We hear Him oftentimes in a whisper. And so if you're with me, if you want to say, hey, how do we seek the Lord? How do we find renewal? I've got a really short sermon for you from one verse of Scripture. And the Bible is really clear about it. God gives us one of the clearest passages on seeking Him and how we can seek Him. And it comes in the Old Testament. He tells us how we can find Him in turbulent times. I I can quote it to you. 2 Chronicles 7 14. Most of you know it. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Y'all know this verse, right? A lot of you? Okay, I have weird filters around this verse. I always felt like the whole church was getting sent to the principal's office whenever this verse was preached on. And honestly, it's kind of felt like a dooming gloom kind of passage of Scripture. Like, throw the verse back up for a minute. What does it say? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Put it back on the screen for just a second. There you go. This stuff is not easy to do. In fact, some of it feels impossible. Humble yourself and pray. Who's really good at humility and prayer? Raise your hand. <laughs> Please don't raise your hand. Seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. Like, that well, sounds like a Saturday morning activity, 7 in the morning. Like, this stuff is hard, and whenever it comes up, it always kind of felt like the church was getting taken to the principal's office. And it didn't feel very joyful. But here's what I discovered in, in, in studying this passage of Scripture, and I don't want to go into all of it, but the crazy thing about this passage of Scripture, I encourage you to look at it. The writer of Chronicles, he's actually writing, I'm not going to look at my notes for a minute. I'm going to see if I can make this make sense because it's kind of confusing. He's writing 400 years after this has taken place. So he's writing in like mid-500s and this took 500 BC and this took place like 900s BC. Now he's writing about something that took place when Solomon finally built a temple for the Ark of the Covenant. But he's writing, the writer is writing to a people who have been in exile, who are coming out of Babylon, and they're reestablishing the nation of Israel. And he's trying to encourage them. And so he's reminding them of good times, of joyful times, of the best times. And he's telling them about these moments when Solomon finally got to build the temple. Remember, David desired to build a temple for his Lord. And David said, God, I can't build a house for me And have you living in a tent? God wasn't living in a tent. But his spirit was dwelling there. The Ark of the Covenant. And that's where they sacrificed. And where the presence of God was this reminder to the people of Israel. Remember when the people of Israel came out of Egypt? And literally you've got the tabernacle. Which is this tent with a fence around it. And the presence of God residing there. And all their tents. A million people. All their tents around this tabernacle. They're literally... The presence of God is physically in the middle of their camp. And it's easy to follow God in a way because when his presence moves, like a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, it's kind of like, okay, guys, time to pack up. God's going that way. I guess we're going that way. There really wasn't a lot of choice. Or you get left behind. So God has been like this, the tabernacle has been so instrumental in their life. Not to mention, then later, all the festivals and all the ways in which that the tabernacle served. It really served as a place where Israel could be reconciled to God. They sacrificed oxen and sheep and goats and turtle doves there. Not because God enjoys blood, but so they could learn that God is holy. And in order for a people to dwell with God, they must be holy. So it was the blood of animals that was a picture of a higher reality that that God would one day offer forgiveness to these people through a perfect sacrifice. Jesus. A man. Fully man, fully God, who would die for the sins of the world. So you get this picture of how important the tabernacle was and Solomon builds a temple and it's amazing what he builds. I mean... He builds this temple that's, I I glanced at a couple of articles, and it was worth like, it would be worth like $280 billion today if, if it were built. Just if you looked at the silver and the bronze and the gold that were used. It was glorious. And if you read back through 2 Chronicles 6 and 7, what you see is this amazing festival that took place for a whole week leading up To when Solomon prays. And they've sacrificed. It's something crazy. Like 120,000 sheep. And 20,000 oxen. And Solomon prays. And the scripture says. That fire comes down from heaven. And consumes the sacrifice on the altar. And God's presence is there. Okay. So that's the context. And the people rejoice. Thirteen years go by after that. Solomon builds his own house. I don't know what that says about Solomon. It took him seven years to build the temple. Thirteen years to build his own house. But twenty years have gone by. And then you jump in the context. And you see. And go back to verse eleven real quick. In second Chronicles seven. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord. And the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord. And in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then, the Lord appeared to Solomon. So it's been 20 years. He appears to Solomon in the night. And he says to him, I have heard your prayer. And have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, what prayer did he hear? Look back at Second Chronicles 6, verses 28 through 31. This is Solomon's prayer from 13 years earlier. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, <clears throat> whatever plague, God's, we're living in the worst plague in a hundred years. Whatever sickness there is, Whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward this house, this is what he prays. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind. That was Solomon's prayer. Now listen to God's response. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer. I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Now the verse we all know. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Really quick. He says, if. It's conditional. It means we're involved. It seems that God only promises to respond. He only promises to respond when we turn to Him. And who is He calling to turn to Him? He says, if my people... God, don't miss this. God begins with the church. We so often want to blame everyone else. 2020 has been a year where we want to look out the window and we are unwilling to look in the mirror. And God says nothing about looking out the window. God says, look in the mirror if my people, who are called by my name. God expects pagans to act like pagans. He does not expect his church to act like pagans. He says, if we're we'll humble ourselves, how do we know if we're humble? How can we even examine if our hearts are humble? Well, we can realize that if we're prideful by taking a moral inventory. And let me just ask you a couple of questions. Do you pray? Do you, do you really need God? Are you self-reliant? Do you worship Jesus? Like how is your worship expressed outside of Sunday? Do you open your home to strangers and sinners? Do you serve the poor and needy who are in distress? Do you regularly thank God for so many good gifts? I think that for most of us as believers, we aren't humble... And we aren't that repentant. And we're mainly just opinionated. And most of us are just waiting for the vaccine to take effect. And the hope that we can get back to what things were like in 2019 or a new normal. And I think God wants to use this time in our lives. In order that we would push pause. And that we would see that the life that the church in America's was living in 2019 is nothing to return to. That we need to be awakened to God's grace. What if God is saying, I'm giving you a distinct moment in your lifetime like you've never experienced to know me and my healing if you will be willing to pause and to humble yourself. I truly believe, Christians, I truly believe the moment in time that I can look at every one of you in this room, and I know most of you who are out there on that on the live stream, I truly believe there has never been a moment in our lifetimes where as much is at stake for the kingdom of God as it is in this moment. I might be wrong will we humble ourselves he goes on and says if we'll humble ourselves and pray prayer is something that we all know how to do maybe even because we pray before meals or before bedtime we feel like we do it enough but how many of us can say that we are reliant upon prayer that we would that we wouldn't go a day in our lives without praying that That prayer is our our fuel, our energy, our power, our wisdom. What if we prayed as much as we Googled? Tell my kids all the time, I don't know, Google it. How often do we say, I don't know, pray about it? There's an app that I want to introduce to you. John Eldridge developed it to go along with his book, Get Your Life Back. And it's called uh, the Pause app. You can grab your phone. Grab your phone real quick, go to the app store, and uh, I want you just to look up pause app. You don't have to download it right now, in fact, please don't, but type in pause app. It's going to take you a few minutes to get it set up, so I want you to wait about downloading it, but go, it's going to look like this, and um, if you found it, it's going to give you a couple different times a day that you can set up a simple one-minute pause. All right, has everybody found it? I know you all are quick on these devices. All right, put your phone back up. We're going to experience a one minute pause. Okay? They're having a little bit of trouble in the booth. Let's do this. So, Cadence, the next slide over. See if you can click on it. Not working? That's okay. So, hey, we'll experience a one-minute pause on my phone. I've got the app, okay? How about that? I think you can hear it. Ready? Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. Self to you, Jesus, for union with you. I am created for union with you, God. I give everything in me for union with you, Lord. That's good. That's enough for now. So was that weird? A little weird, right? Most of us aren't used to slowing down. But I've started doing that twice a day and what i found is that it doesn't just stop in a minute. But it's a reminder to me that God's presence is with me and that I do need more of His Spirit. And so it gives me a a pause in my day to remember that that day is not about just getting everything accomplished on my to-do list or getting to the next appointment on time. But that God is at work in directing my day and that God is the most important relationship of my day that day. And so I want to encourage you. One way that you can pray is to download this app. And listen, if you think that's goofy... It probably is. You don't have to do it. But it's just something that I've found that's been helpful for me. He says if we'll seek his face. I honestly don't know anything more powerful for seeking God's face than fasting. Um, You say, I don't really understand fasting. You don't have to. It's pretty simple. You don't eat. (laughs) Like, you just drink. (laughs) And so, on Tuesdays, I skip breakfast and lunch. And then I just eat dinner. And what happens is... See, when we eat, we're pretty, we've are pretty. we talked a lot about gospel feasting, right? We've talked about like when we sit down to eat, oftentimes you'll hear maybe one of our elders or maybe heard me pray before and say, God, we're reminded today that something had to die in order to give us life as we eat this. Something had to die. And so... This meal reminds us that Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. And we're going to eat this good food. And it's going to be so satisfying. But then we're going to get hungry again. But Jesus satisfies us forever. And we're never hungry again. And like, So food reminds us that Jesus is better. So when we don't have food, it's pretty powerful. Because man, by like 10 o'clock, I'm like, I need another cup of coffee. I'm really hungry, God. And... It's a constant reminder for me, like, where's my power come from? Where does my fuel come from? Did it come from that cliff bar that I really wanted for breakfast? Or is it going to come from Jesus today? And so it kind of begins to train me to say, you know what? I need Jesus. So you can try that out if you want. We're going to talk a little more about fasting along the way in the series. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Just really quick, I want to say, I think most Christians have stopped repenting. Jack Miller said that years ago, and I think it's true that most believers come to faith in Christ and decades go by in their life and they gain a lot of information and honestly, for the most part, I think they stop confessing sin to one another and that they stop meaningful repentance. I mean we do stuff like. Yeah I'm not good. I'm bad. I was, eh, I was, well, I was angry with the kids. Uh, da, 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 Lord forgive me. But that's not repentance. I think most Christians have stopped repenting. And God says. If we will turn from our wicked ways. And so you say. How, how do we do that? Go back to the first two. Pray and fast humble ourselves and pray. If you seek the Lord in humility, if you seek Him in prayer, if you spend time in fasting, I can almost guarantee you, you will begin to see confession and repentance increase in your life. It says, I'll just end with this. He says, if my people, who are called by my name, if it's conditional, God gives us a choice. You can have, if you have as much of God as you want and you don't want any more of God, Continue in your daily rhythms. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and that includes me, and turn, and if they'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from our wicked ways, he says, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The big idea for this series is this. Personal renewal leads to corporate change. Personal renewal leads to corporate change. I think one of the major problems of politics and church and our world today is that we want to see change and it's everybody else's fault. Almost no one's willing to look in the mirror. But if we will begin to draw near to God and be reminded of His grace that's been shown to us and if we will make confession and repentance a normal part of our daily lives then we will also discover that God renews his church and culture through a remnant he's always done that he's renewed his church and he's changed the culture through a small remnant of people who had red hot faith I invite the band to come on up and lead us in this last song. He's done it over the years. He did it after World War One in America. He did it back in the early turn of the century. He did it after World War One. He did it after World War II. He did it after the Vietnam War. His love, sex, and rock and roll. And the Jesus movement was birthed out of all of that. Out of Vietnam. Like, and I believe God desires to renew our hearts today. My prayer for this sermon series is that it inspires individuals into personal renewal, and that small groups of believers will begin to pray and contend for God to move with power in our lives and throughout His world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this prayer that so clear that you gave to, to Solomon. God, you are faithful to answer his prayer. You're always faithful to answer our prayers. And God, you tell us that if we will pray, God, if we'll humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, God, we pray that you would give each of us a vision for how much we need you, God. And God, not only do I pray that you would give us a vision But I pray that you would remind us of the joy that came when we experienced your endless grace for the first time. And God, I pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Father, I just want to pray against Satan and any kind of shame or guilt that he would bring on individuals today. Maybe people shouldn't fast. Maybe they shouldn't fast from food. Maybe there's something else you're calling them to fast from. Maybe there's a different way that you're calling them to meet with you. God, I pray that we would be, that we would have the kind of faith to believe that that if we pray and ask, that you will speak to us. You'll tell us how you want us to come to you in order to see our souls restored, in order to see renewal begin to spring up order for you to give us hope and that God that we would experience the joy that comes in repentance and the joy that comes in knowing you and following you God we just all admit that even though you say if my people that we can get busy but that we're hopeless on our own apart from your spirit so we say spirit come spirit fill us up spirit give us more of God In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stand together with us and let's sing.